Hello, world, and welcome to another fun, fun episode of Here's a Guy. Um, I'm Alex, coming to you from St. Louis. Already got one of those out of the way. Um, and I'm joined by <laughs> uh, my two usual co-hosts. First of which, you just heard chuckling, is uh, my older brother, Cody, coming to us from Illinois. Uh, Cody, uh, what's going on in your world? Oh, you know, things are uh, pretty much the same uh, as they were last we spoke. Uh, but we have... Uh, been talking about some fun stuff for this podcast and you know not just the fun we're gonna have tonight although we are definitely going to have some fun with some stuff here tonight but uh also uh some other some other thing well i i certainly hope so like if we get through one of these episodes and nobody laughs once i think that's when we quit (laughs) but uh but also some uh kind of uh here's a guy i don't know we want to call it the here's a guy extended universe type stuff that uh we, uh, we're going to be putting together for uh, all three of you wonderful people who listen to us on a weekly basis. So uh, That's true. Yeah, keep your, keep your ears peeled and uh, looking forward to that. I can't wait for this extended universe of Here's a Guy to be so bloated that everyone's just fucking tired and can't wait for us to get killed <laughs> off. We start getting John Favreau directing <laughs> segments. They promised Jack John was going to die three movies ago. When the fuck is he going to die? I'm tired of seeing him. <laughs> Is Jack John our Jar Jar, do you think? <laughs> I mean, he's got uh, the alliterative that, thing with the J's right there. I mean, I mean, the you two were established long before I, like, you guys were original kid, and I was added on afterwards, and people are just like, is he comic relief? Is he serious? Why the fuck is he here? <laughs> who who actually, actually, so, by the way, that's Jack John coming to us from <laughs> Indianapolis. Hello, Jack yeah. John. Um, actually, what, let's figure this, I think Jack John as Jar Jar is pretty good. Who? Uh, what about the two of us? What Star Wars characters are we? Bring me like Solo Cody... and the Wookiee. <laughs> uh, Co- possibility. I was also maybe thinking Watto for Cody. <laughs> kind of <laughs> works for him. Cody Cody has like I'm, a little I'm bit of... I'm going over how you came to that conclusion. Cody has like a little bit of Han Solo. I'm going to be tempted to slap you if I didn't. He's got a little bit of Han Solo, and he doesn't give a shit what you think about him. He's got that just like, I love you, I know kind of feel to him. <laughs> I'm still gonna go with Watto. Um, <laughs> he's got kind of the the the. You're just about attitude. that time I enslaved you, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I I do love Alex in a sexy slave dress. Uh, it was it's, uh, it awoken something in me. Which, by the way, I, I just want to point out that we we got onto this topic completely organically. None of us even realizing that it is May the fourth as we record this. Ah. Oh, that's true. That's true. Also, um, I like how we went from e, uh, like extended universe, which is traditionally a star or a, a marvel thing now and we instantly pivoted to star wars with with no prodding but yeah and, uh, for 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 alex i don't know hmm. i don't know i mean he's 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 got a little bit of lando calrissian in him i think you know you know what Respe- respectable job bit of a huckster yeah uh, got de- decent guy questionable ethics i think is, is probably yeah. a good way to mm-hmm Alex, you, you give me like a Captain Phasma, like a you're high ranking, but what do you actually do around here? Oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> he's a uh, he's our Admiral Akbar. That's how it is. <laughs> oh, I like that one. Here's here's a, a fucking one of the nerdiest things I've ever said. So uh, one time, my friends and I attempted a uh, Star Wars D and D campaign. Um, it was like completely homebrew, and uh, um, I was um. Um, I was a Mon Calamari, which is what Admiral Akbar is, and um, I was Admiral Akbar's nephew. 
And um, <laughs> like, I was like force sensitive. I was also just like a fucking huge pervert. Like I was a sexual deviant. Um, We've talked yeah, about that before on our first on our first. Here's a guy belch cast crossover because oh, yeah, I remember yeah. making a joke that broke Jack John for about five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't take much, honestly. And I was probably hammered. We um, all were. But but since you didn't ask me how I was, I do want to make a quick thing. Um, so I've I've been doing good, but I want to ask how you guys are doing. Um, because the Cardinals, um, I, I was looking, uh, somebody on my Facebook had mentioned like a like a doom and gloom thing about the Cardinals. And I was like, Cardinals fans, are, they're the kind of fan base that like, if they're like 500, it's a doom and gloom year. I looked, the but Cardinals then you, are but 10 then and 22. Look. What the yep. fuck is happening? The Marlins are at least 500. Cardinals are 1 and 9 in happened. the last 10. What, what happened is we have like almost no reliable starting pitching and rather than remedy that in the offseason the front office chose to not uh it's like we're just gonna trot out the most dog shit rotation you've ever seen in your life and hope everything else goes okay also i think the uh, you know this is just the vibe i get i think maybe the clubhouse isn't in great shape right now i think the manager and some of the players are not getting along great so there's a lot of people calling for uh, Ollie Marmol to be thrown into the Mississippi River. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna. If only it were as simple as just <laughs> just one thing. Everybody's sucked. If you yeah. look at the advanced stats over the last two weeks, starting pitching has somehow been like about average, maybe slightly above, and they've won two games. So <laughs> they fucking suck. Um, they seem to not be having a good time playing baseball. And I don't know what to do because if a team with Lars Newtbar on it is miserable, then I mean they're just destined to be miserable. Yeah. I guess like maybe Yadier Molina was actually holding this whole thing together, <laughs> which is crazy. And I mean, to think. the thing is, there is enough talent on that offense that I'm not convinced that the the lack of scoring will be a problem all year long. The problem is this pitching staff is fucking terrible. Like that that's the the truth is that their pitching staff sucks. We're likely going to see some big changes. Uh, both on the team and in the people employed by the team uh, before too long. So, you know, it, if if this season winds up not writing itself to at least respectability, I can take comfort in the fact that St. Louis is a good enough baseball town that people will be calling for for heads on pikes, and they might get their wish. I, I do like the idea that Yadier Molina is like the Adonis Haslam of the baseball world, where he's just there <laughs> to instill culture and maybe also play a few games. <laughs> yeah, I won't, I, won't, I won't say anything further because I don't want to give Mitch the satisfaction. So <laughs> leave it at like, that. Like said, I had a friend who like doom and gloomed and they're like, like not skip Bayless levels of like everything's on fire, but I was like, how bad can it really be? And I had an audible like, holy fuck, when I looked and saw that they were 12 games under, like... It's That's what happens when your starting rotation includes Jake Woodford. <laughs> Anybody out there asking, who is that? Guess what? We don't really know. The, He's just some guy they put out there every five days and gets his ass beat. The, the Cardinals are starting Woodford and Cody is finishing Woodford. Yeah, I wish. I have a, I have a theory about Jake Woodford, and you can all like look him up uh, to see if you think I'm right. But I've long said that Jake Woodford looks like every member of Monty Python rolled into one guy. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Very, very English facial features on Jake Woodford, mm. unfortunately. Very um, angular. Yeah. Yeah. My God. Yeah. He, yeah. A lot huh. of, a lot of bones yeah, no. in that face. 
Huh is a good way to describe it, what Jake Woodford looks it, like. Yeah. His face is pointy in the wrong areas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his face points upward. That's very strange. <laughs> um yeah, we'll get we'll get off of that topic. Yeah, keep... I, I you know, and I can talk about something else that's pissing me off. Uh, we had to start a little bit late tonight because I, <laughs> I texted these two and I said, Can we start a little bit late? I have a situation I'm dealing with. And here's the situation. Um big picture, this is a good thing. Um, is I've inherited um, two raised garden beds for out back, and my folks are going to be bringing them down this weekend. Um, and Sarah and I are going to plant uh, uh, veggies in one and flowers in the other. We're very excited about that. But for raised beds, you need to get like a shitload of soil, a few different kinds of soil, and also the area by my tree. We're going to remulch it. Um, and I didn't have any of that stuff, so we're either going to we're faced with the possibility of having to like go buy all this shit and like bring it back in like a bunch of different trips. And so my mom got the idea um, and she called me and said, how about I just put in an order like from Home Depot and they can deliver all this to your house. Now this idea makes sense in theory, but I just, I just had an inkling something was going to get fucked <laughs> up here. And so this, I, I get the notification the order's been delivered during the day and I get home and I'm thinking like, you know, I'll just leave this stuff out in the yard for now. I'm going to have a bunch of crap sitting at my front yard. It's real white trash, but I am white trash, so that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, and so I get home and I look outside to find that what they have delivered is one huge pallet of mulch and different kinds of soil. And they've left it in the fucking street <laughs> in front of my house. We, we, <laughs> so... you, live, you basically live, all, not downtown, but for like, uh, for, as far as residential areas go, downtown. And your street I, is already kind of packed as it is. I live in the city. Yeah. Like in a neighborhood in the city where people <laughs> park their street, park their cars on the street. So the deal was I had to go deal with that like now. And like, <laughs> you know, for, you know, for the next couple months, like I'm the only person living here. So I got to just go fucking do it all myself. So I had to spend like 30 minutes carrying like bag by bag, these big bags of soil and mulch up the slight incline up next to my house repeatedly. And everyone probably sees me and thinks I'm an asshole. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's what I was doing. That was my situation. You know, that's just, a pretty good metaphor for this Cardinal season. Cause that's what it feels like. <laughs> I want to say again, as I as I said uh, during the cinnamon roll incident, I, I have the utmost respect for service workers, and especially like delivery people, because it seems like they get the shaft more than anybody else. But are you out of your fucking mind leaving it <laughs> in the street? Like, like you you can do a little bit better than that. Like, there's got to be two of you, you know. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. When you when you were laying out this scenario, I knew exactly where this was gonna go. <laughs> Put it on the sidewalk, like leading up to my house. I don't care if it's like in the way for me, but don't, don't leave it. Like I don't live in an area where I think it's going to get stolen. And also, who the fuck would steal this shit? But like, don't put it on the street. <laughs> now I'm like the worst person in the world, and it's got my name on a big sticker. <laughs> on it. So everybody knows who did this. Um, but anyway, it's over now. I'm a little sore, but uh, what are you going to do? There's worse problems. Um, so on to some more amusing stuff. Um, I did also want to mention, uh, we were talking about our Gags the Clown review before we got started tonight, because we maybe got some more reviews, uh, in the works. Um, I was surprised when I, when I, I, 
Um, I guess I'm just gonna gonna break. I think most people know uh, that I uh, I run the here's a guy Twitter account. I try to play coy, and I don't know why because like you can tell my cadence. Um, <laughs> yeah, my my sheepish cadence comes through on the here's a guy uh, Twitter account. But I go and I see a couple likes on um, a couple old tweets from March. Um, one is that uh, Cody and Alex have both finished watching Gags the Clown. Talking about how pissed off we're going to be. And the other is when we drop the episode uh, where we mentioned that we review the horrible, god-awful, no-good 2018 <laughs> movie Gags the Clown. And who happened to like these two tweets, but none other than the uh, official Twitter account for Gags the Clown. <laughs> <laughs> now available on Blu-ray, DVD, and VOD. I should note, uh, following 118 people, 282 followers, and seems to have spent seems to have spent a, a, a day a couple days ago going back and liking um, every tweet that's mentioned Gags the Clown in the last couple years, which uh, not very many, I should say. And what I like is if you go through the liked tweets on the gags the clown account it's a bunch of people like offering their praise of the movie and it's just fucking us calling it terrible <laughs> so so sorry to the say, did he, well i'm did not whatever, did whatever uh poor social media intern uh that had to go through and and do that did they read the tweets i wonder because it kind of seems like maybe they didn't in our case I like to imagine, like, it's been a couple years. They're probably just like, hey, at least people are fucking talking about it. Like, <laughs> I don't give a shit if it's bad. Press is press. Yeah, I, I, I reject the idea that there even is a social media intern. They're not that high class of an organization. <laughs> no. Um, but I do wonder, like, maybe whether it's just a bot. But um, if not, and it was a guy and it was, like, one of the people involved in Gags the Clown, um, we are on their radar. And we, uh, we, I don't know. I'm not, won't. Well, not out of the realm of possibility that we'll be hearing from them soon. Look, <laughs> no, this this leaves the door open now. If there's ever like a like a gags the clown two, we're gonna be like f extra featured like people in it who get killed, and I'm excited now. We're we're on their radar. Gags um, the clown. If you uh, are one of the people who was involved in making the gags the clown, and you're listening to this. <laughs> One of two things can happen. Either you're welcome to come on the show and try and defend yourself, <laughs> or we won't let you do that and talk more shit about you and you can't, you know, so you won't be able to defend yourself at all. Just whatever we decide is funnier, but yeah. Um, so that's what I've got going on. Um, how about, how about you guys? What have you guys been up to? Um, enjoying, uh, a lot of, uh, so this time of year, I, my high school sports, uh, casting takes me to a lot of baseball games which is uh, really nice because the weather's been beautiful. And it's, you know, I, I forget how much I just like to sit outside and, and watch a baseball game, even if it's a high school game, because frankly, I've enjoyed most of those more than watching the Cardinals this year. So, uh, yeah, it's been, you know, just kind of your standard work stuff, uh, hoping to get a vacation one of these years. But uh, I don't I don't know that it's going to happen anytime soon. Real quick, can I, um, I actually had another complaint. Um, and this one really is just about myself. Um, That's the I subtitle actually, for this, uh, I, for this podcast. I, I have another say, complaint. I actually had another complaint. The title of this show. <laughs> um, so I just want to mention the fucking absolute own goal that I did. So like I found out. For a while, like there really was no good way, and this is a whole other thing that I could 
like the way that they've made watching sports like impossible right now. Yeah. Um it's really it's really depressing. Um and it's so hard to watch Bally Sports Midwest, which has the Cardinals and the Blues. Um for the last couple of years it really hasn't been a good way. But I did find out that one streaming service it used to be on like YouTube TV or just like on, you know, cable. You know, you could just at one point just turn on the TV and there would be the game. Um, but they pulled it off YouTube TV. They pulled it off everything. But I found out that a different TV streaming app, like a cable replacement streaming app called Fubo, uh, has Bally Sports. And I looked into it. I'm like, well, shit, this is pretty expensive. But it's the same price as like a YouTube TV or anything like that. And so I'm like, I'll just cancel YouTube TV and sign up for Fubo because they have, um, I mean, they have pretty much all the same channels, except now I can watch the Cardinals. What I didn't realize at the time is that Fubo has like every channel except TNT. And the practical effect of that is I now get the Cardinals who suck ass and are unwatchable. But now I don't get most of the NBA playoffs, which are (laughs) entertaining and fun. So I have completely dunked on myself. Um, And... (laughs) At least, like, the games on the weekend are on ESPN, and I can watch those. But, um, you know, I, I guess I guess that's cosmic justice for some transgression <laughs> you know, that I've done. But I, I, get, I just don't know what. Yeah. So We're going to find out that the production team for Gags the Clown was responsible for getting TNT yeah. removed from Fubo. Yeah, as, as someone who has YouTube TV, I've been enjoying the NBA playoffs. They've been very good this year. Yeah, they, they seem like they've been great. <laughs> um, Cody, I, I understand you. Did you have an update uh, show wise for anything that you've been working on? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, we've been talking about it for a while. I thought it was time to update the drinking game rules a little bit. Uh, we've come up with a couple more ideas to add to the list. So I thought I would go ahead and bust those out. And of course, if you guys have any ideas, you are welcome to uh, <clears throat> throw them in there as well. And just like last time, uh, here's a mailbox at gmail.com if any of you have any listener submissions. So I've got a uh, couple new rules here. So I've got two for the one drink tier. Remember, the tiers are one drink, two drinks, or uh, five drinks slash a shot, whichever you feel like doing. So one drink. Um, anytime we remind you that this is, in fact, here's a guy after all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that we do that a lot. Uh, this isn't that's one of my that's one of my go-tos yeah and this one i had to look this up because i couldn't believe it was was not on the original list but uh alex talks about now you see me (laughs) Uh, (laughs) fuck man if we wind up see me review is gonna hurt we wind up reviewing that well i want it to hurt everybody else as much as it hurts me Mm -hmm. so that's That's just two hours of a straight drink yeah um two drinks uh stupid side project idea yeah. So we, we get something in the story that makes us think of an absurdist uh, side project we could do. Um, like like uh, space apes? Mon- monkey, yeah, <laughs> monkey probation officer, space apes. That, or the Here's a Guy other, Museum. The Here's a Guy Museum, <laughs> that, yeah. That reminds me, I, I, I forgot to check, is, and this is a future guy, is that a drink? Or potential future guy, insert name. I had not thought of that, but we can add that to the list if you guys are both cool with it. Where do you think that would land? One drink, drink two drink, five drinks. I think that's a two. It's a, that yeah, sounds it's like, like it that's what I was super thinking. often. Every couple episodes we do that. Okay. 
All right, that's going on the list. Um, we will have uh, one of those tonight here, by the way, or at least one of those tonight. <laughs> Uh, and my last one, again, I didn't have a ton of these because I wanted to get some ideas from you guys if you had them. But for the five drink tier, uh, Alex does a non-impression. Ah. <laughs> oh, and those are so tempting to do all the time. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I I had a proposal, and I was trying to think functionally. This one is more like a challenge that we can add on to it. Um, if there is a... If there's one of our infamous rug pulls, like a, a like a shocking twist, you can oh, call yeah. your shot. Um, you can call your shot if you see it coming and call it out before it happens. You avoid drinking at all. Ooh. If you get it wrong, you have to finish your. If you call your shot and get it wrong, you have to finish your drink. Um, if you if you don't say anything and you still get it, then it uh, just falls into two drinks because I, I can't punish you that much because we do that all the time. So yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. We are giving some people alcohol poisoning. Um, we're we're like three ideas away from being able to make a board game out of this. Yeah, Jack John, was there anything you had? Uh, I uh, just for just for my own personal uh, enjoyment and for those at home. Uh, anytime I see a cat, or anytime any of us mentions a cat, I think everyone should drink. Like one of our cats, you mean? One of our cats, or if you're if okay. you're at home and you have a cat and you see your cat, just drink. It's fun. Make a game out of it. Also, yes. Yeah, that's that's a great way to spend a night. Um, yeah, I like those. I like those. So I, I can say pretty confidently that those are uh, all going on the list. I think the cat thing is, do we want to make that a two-drink rule? Or a one-drink rule? Um, so, or do you choose violence? Let's, let's do one. <laughs> yeah, one that, that feels like a one. Okay. Just cats because uh, between the three of us, there are four cats, and two of them live in my office. Yeah, Freddy's always. Yeah, a, yeah Freddy's, Freddy's always, always just around. around. As I'm literally but, currently petting Potato. Mm-hmm. If you if you heard Drink. me ha- like <laughs> if, if you heard me like in the the background earlier, I would add. In fact, it's because uh, Freddy, who is really wanting me to get up and go feed him, uh, chose to go up and get uh, try to sit on top of my turntable, which is a no no. So yeah, little bastard. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I, th- I think that's all the business we had, which means that can only mean one thing, which is that we're getting to our guys. And uh, so let's get to it. Jack John, could you help me out, please? Yeah, I think I remember it. It's uh, the guys. All righty. And Jack John, since your voice is warmed up, uh, you're up first this week. Who's your guy? Uh, yeah. So we've talked a lot on the show about some amazing spies in history, people who have risked all to defend their country mastered the art of espionage and stealth, and left an incredible mark on the world for the better. Uh, let's do the opposite this week, and let's talk about Aldrich Ames. Okay. Aldrich was born in 1941 in River Falls, Wisconsin. He was born... I love my spies to be from Wisconsin. <laughs> nice, nice heavy accent in all of my spies, yeah. <laughs> it seems like it's hard for people from Wisconsin to be sneaky in any capacity, really. <laughs> Is that, is that large man hiding behind that lamppost? I can see you. <laughs> Makes you wonder why they had so many serial killers. How'd they all get away with it? Uh, the other people in Wisconsin couldn't run. That's also true. Have we made Wisconsin an enemy on this show yet? I feel like we're... We like just fucking did. From that. <laughs> <laughs> Say, we have now. 
I don't know if they're an enemy to us, but we're definitely an enemy to them. Uh, he was born into a well-to-do family, his father, Carlton, being a professor at Wisconsin State College, uh, the location there in River Falls, and his mother being a high school English teacher. They had the classic picture of a family living in the suburbs in the mid-20th century down perfectly, right down to the father blatantly having a massive alcohol issue. Well, that's too bad. I mean, yeah, that, uh, that tracks. I mean, I've been to Wisconsin. I mean, there's, there is beer just everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard not to drink all the time in Wisconsin. I I spent like forty eight hours in Wisconsin, and like I was, you know, let's let's take out probably the like uh, I don't know ten hours that I was sleeping. So of thirty eight hours that I was in Wisconsin, I think I was drinking for thirty six of them. Yeah, I was in I was in Wisconsin last month, and I was hammered for like seventy five percent of my time there. Uh, That's the, the time I was sober was mostly like wedding prep. <laughs> You drink uh, and you eat a bunch of cheese. That's why Wisconsin's yeah. great. Uh, but it was a loud open secret that Carlton had a drinking problem. And this even showed up in his career. Because this was the 40s and 50s, Carlton had to parlay his success, uh, had the opportunity to parlay his success as a professor into a job at the CIA, because fuck it, white people can do anything. Yeah. And he gets a job as director of operations in Virginia. Yeah, if the CIA sees that you are some kind of volatile freak who is also intelligent, <laughs> they'll beat down your door. Like, that that's exactly the kind of person they love over there. Yeah. This job would kick off in 1952, and by 53, the family would be shipped off on assignment to Southeast Asia for three years. During this time, Carlton would receive scathing reviews for his performance, often citing his serious alcoholism as a key factor for this. Never fuck with James Bond. <laughs> James Bond also wasn't from Wisconsin, I don't think. <laughs> That's true. I'll uh, have a gin martini there, uh, shaken, not stirred. <laughs> the family would be sent back to the States where Carlton would finish his career silently with, uh, at CIA headquarters and would end up retiring from that job. But back in the States, Aldrich would attend uh, a local high school there. Uh, and in 1957, during his sophomore year, Aldrich would find a job and start working. Seeing as how his father was somehow still a highly respected CIA employee, Aldrich, the 16-year-old, was able to get a summer job with the intelligence agency with a scary amount of ease. What could a 16-year-old even do that the CIA would would want them for exactly like not that the CIA is averse to breaking any kind of rules whatsoever, but I'm just like, what, what exactly are you doing for these guys? I'll tell you for the following three summers, Aldrich would work as a GS three level employee out of a scale that goes from one to 15. Uh, this low level job given to a teenager included such tasks as working in the records department where he would handle and mark classified documents and then file. I mean, that I is guess 16. unbelievably stupid. Like that—that that is just allowing anybody under the age of like forty anywhere near <laughs> classified information to be frowned upon. I think it is weird. I guess to think that the CIA would have like summer interns that they just make do <laughs> bitch work, but I—I I guess they're just like any other workplace at the end of the day i guess they do have crap like that to do like I, I i can only imagine it didn't really explicitly say this but his dad working there had to have been the only way this was allowed i can't imagine many 16 year olds are getting this job 
but his dad probably had to like heavily vouch for this. Well, yeah, I mean, you, it's not like you could just walk into the building and apply. You're going to wind up in Cuba with a bag over your head. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not like um, the lovely nun that I covered last week where you can just walk into the facility. You know, it, there, there's, there's you know, a little bit of clearance here. Uh, yeah, I'm seeing a very distressing trend <laughs> developing in your topics. Yeah, it's almost like uh, the USA and all of its agencies are fucking stupid. And which I is will the say, other tagline for this show. The yeah, CIA spooks are a large untapped world of guys that I do have some possibly on the list. We've just never quite gotten there, but there are, I mean, we'll just save it for another day, but um, none of this is, is surprising if you know. I mean, if you list. listen to, uh, and again, not to plug the last podcast on the left too much, but if you listen to their MK Ultra series, they spend a good amount of time talking about how when these guys were first figuring out lsd they just like dosed each other like their co-workers yeah. <laughs> all the time without telling them just to see what would happen just, yeah just a little bit exactly literally <laughs> exactly that just to see what would happen yeah science is amazing uh but after high school uh Aldrich would enroll at the university of chicago where he planned to study foreign cultures and history Nobel attempting to follow in his old man's footsteps and to bankroll his previous experience with the CIA. Well, turns out he fucking hated this, actually. <laughs> yeah. Aldrich started to fail classes and even dropped out just after two years. When he was asked about this, he talked about how he really didn't have the passion for his studies and his real longtime passion was drama and performative arts. We, we, don't, need, we don't need CIA plants and... In the performative arts, there are already enough fucking ghouls in that world. <laughs> so, Aldrich leaves school and becomes an assistant technical director at the Chicago Theater for a few years. Uh, after this runs its natural course and Aldrich gets bored, um, he moves back home to Virginia, where he promptly gets another clerical job with the CIA, this time as a GS4. So, he leaves, drops out, and then somehow gets a slight pay raise when he comes back. Now, wait a second. Jack Sean, how do you know so much about the internal structure of the CIA? Um, I've been advised by my lawyer off screen to, to not answer that question. Um, I don't know if you know who we're asking on behalf of, but they don't really do the whole <laughs> lawyers thing. So, <laughs> uh, no, so I actually, I go, cause you're going to want to answer your front door. <laughs> Oh no, my wife's out there. Uh, no, so I, I ended up like looking it up. Just my source kept like mentioning all these pay like like structures, and I was like, I'm curious. And somehow they're just like, yeah, like if you want to be like in the CIA, here's what we do. And it's like, okay. Um, but uh, to this point, Aldrich has been following his old man's footsteps, uh, but perhaps a little too closely. Uh, it's around this time in his early twenties that Aldrich falls face first into his own alcoholism. <laughs> Yeah, that happens a lot of times. This would be a driving force for the rest of his life, and all of his issues stem back to this. In early November of 61, with another friend, Audric would, quote, borrow a delivery bike from a liquor store while drunk. <laughs> uh, he would then be later caught by police and would be let go without incident. The following year, he would be arrested for public intoxication in D.C., they even the charge you for that? Uh, like, the, he, like, do you have any idea how many Kennedys worked in that town? <laughs> that can't be a real crime there. Yeah. 
Um, he was from what I like from what I was able to read, he like basically got detained, but like no charges ever came out. But he was doing something while notably intoxicated. The following following year, he would be arrested for excessive speeding, and the year after that, reckless driving. Again, though, both times it's believed that he was drunk, and because you know this is like the '60s, nothing comes of this because <laughs> they don't give a shit if you're drunk. There's like, I, I mean, go home. There's probably some kind of little CIA key fob that he can show to <laughs> get out of shit. Yeah, but like he's he's getting through all these issues and just not even a slap on the wrist, just like a stir and like, don't do that. And then he goes on to do the exact same shit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, a notable theme that you should pay attention to. Back in D.C., Aldrich goes back to school and gets his bachelor's degree in history from George Washington University. He didn't really want to go any further with the CAA. He just wanted to get his degree and move on with his life. Uh, but with his degree and now five years' experience with the CIA, he gets a, a new job title and a little pay bump, and he's actually offered a spot in the CAA's career trainee program. All of this in spite of the several run-ins with the police that are happening at the exact same time. Or perhaps because of it, because again, the CIA is <laughs> run by absolute psychotic monsters. So, you know, Aldrich, you've got like an extensive knowledge of like the justice system and like police operations. Have you ever thought about using that? <laughs> Aldrich, you seem like you'll do damn near anything. <laughs> um, you're our kind of guy. Yeah, I, I noticed you have a penchant for lawlessness. You're CIA <laughs> material, my friend. <laughs> have you ever thought of abusing that power? Uh, in this same program, Aldrich meets a nice young lady by the name of Nancy. The two would hit it off, fall in love, and would short, uh, marry shortly after in 1969. Okay. Right. After graduating from the program, Aldrich would be assigned to a project in Turkey. Unfortunately for Nancy, uh, the CIA had a strict rule that prohibited married CIA operatives to work in the same office, and they had disclosed that they were married now. So... Uh, because, you know, this is the 60s, uh, Nancy would have to resign from this because there's no way the man's going to leave this job. Right. Well, and back then, that was not just a, you know, choice forced on you by the patriarchy, but <laughs> the, man, the man was probably making so much more than her oh, that yeah. it, it would have been silly to do, do it the other way around. Also that. Yeah, it was, just, it was the patriarchy indirectly doing it rather right. than directly. Yeah. <laughs> It's not because of sexism, but it is because of sexism. All roads lead back to hell, yes. Uh, Aldrich's job in Turkey was to target Soviet intelligence officers and to try to bring them over to the side of old glory in America. And kudos to Aldrich, he actually did a pretty good job at this. Uh, he was able to infiltrate a communist op, and in that area he was able to build some relationships that was able to get valuable information back to the States. By drinking Stalin under the table. His methods weren't mentioned, but probably, honestly. Yeah. Or I guess, I guess Stalin would have been dead by then. I don't know who was in charge in the 60s. He was drunk. He probably thought it was Stalin, honestly. <laughs> it's just some uh, border guard. <laughs> no, I said you're Stalin. Uh, but his superiors, on the other hand, didn't really have that same amount of gratitude, and they didn't tell him that he did a good job. They rated his performance as just satisfactory, and this hurt his itsy-bitsy little feelings, and Aldrich considered leaving the CIA because he wasn't getting the gratitude he thought he deserved. 
Uh, excuse me, I did my job. So, <laughs> if you want to tell me what a special little baby I am, uh, that'd be great. I've worked with quite a few people like that in my life. In 1972, he would make his way back to the States, where he would be positioned to work with the Soviet and Eastern European Division. Uh, all things considered, a jump-in job. Uh, this time around, his supervisors were thrilled with his performance and noted that he was one of the few people who actually filed reports correctly and was, you know, working by the books how he was supposed to be doing it. On the second page of those same reviews, however, they noted his excessive drinking habits. I mean, if that goes on your work report, that's not great, because, like... <laughs> If my bosses even know how much alcohol I consume or have any kind of ballpark idea, that means it's probably too much. Yeah, that's that's when you're allowed to use the word excessive. Yeah, which they did. Mm -hmm. Well, and again, this is a recurring theme. While there was no formal punishment for this, they marked this as an eyes only note, meaning that it was wasn't really to be discussed any further, but everyone was aware that this was happening. In 1976, he would be moved to New York, where he would work closely with more Soviet assets. He exceeded his expectations and even received another promotion and pay jump, all while being a functioning alcoholic. Yeah. And, you know, what? he was performing that job almost perfectly. Except for two separate occasions where he did the dumbest fucking thing possible. I can't wait to I'll hear what that is. I'll talk about the one that happened second first. See, Aldrich, while doing his job correctly and, you know, doing all of his, like, paperwork and proceedings correctly, he had a, a poor attention to detail at times. Well, yeah. His... I mean, you know, when you're hammered, uh, <laughs> you are not exactly meticulous. When you do things, you're kind of just throwing shit around a lot of the time, yeah. so. So on this exact occasion, Aldrich had left his office to go do something. In my mind, probably to go drink some whiskey from a flask in the bathroom. I mean, yeah, you know. Well, this and was the 60s. You, you didn't have to do the flask thing. He probably just went <laughs> to get more ice. Realistically. <laughs> Got a fucking party ball in his office. I was going to say, he's, th this is the era where, like, any media from there, every, everybody who works at a desk has a bottle of whiskey in their desk. Yeah, that's true. From Wisconsin, he's just got an IV of Spotted Cow. <laughs> <laughs> Old Milwaukee. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. And, and while he was out of his office, uh, someone walked into his office and found incredibly vital and top-secret communications just casually on the top of his desk open. With a great big his... red stamp that said, do not read. I mean, it's, it's the CIA, so probably. <laughs> Uh, his supervisors yelled at him, but nothing came of it. The first time, and in my mind, the most cartoon moment of this whole thing, Aldrich was traveling uh, for work via the subway in New York. He was on his way to meet a Soviet informant, and Aldrich got off the subway and, and met with this informant, only to quickly realize that he no longer had his briefcase. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Aldrich left his top-secret briefcase on the subway. It was then found hours later <clears throat> when the CIA was able to track it down now in the hands of a very confused Polish immigrant who thought he had just got a new briefcase. <laughs> isn't this just like, isn't this the plot of burn after reading? <laughs> yeah. 
the CIA at this point had no idea if the briefcase had been tampered with, opened, or even if all the information was still in there. Aldrich was again yelled at immensely, but nothing came from it. They were just like, you fucking drunk idiot. Good God. What then, do you have to do to nothing. get kicked out of this organization? Between this and the entire Bay of Pigs operation, <laughs> I, I'm starting to... I'm starting to get the uh, the idea that it's just run by absolute lunatics. Yeah, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to add even more stress to his life, Aldrich also began to have some marital woes around this time. As his functional wife... alcoholics frequently do. <laughs> uh, the main crux of this, though, his wife really liked staying in New York, uh, but that meant Aldrich had to constantly pass up reassignment opportunities, and in his mind, negatively impacting his career. Because if you're turning down work, they're going to give that to somebody else, and you're just going to kind of stay stagnant. Uh, the, the career man and career mind that is Aldrich. I was going to say, or you could just stay in New York and do the shit in New York. Like, I, I don't understand what not wanting to get constantly moved around the world <laughs> says about your lack of commitment yeah. to the company. Like, they're still uh, going to need somebody there in New York to do the yeah. shit. In, in his mind, like, like the career man might... Uh, mentality that like if my boss comes to me and offers me something and I keep saying no I'm gonna be looked upon less by my boss kind of hashtag thing. grind set <laughs> he would finally get to take a job though and not overseas like he'd wanted but rather in Mexico City still in at least the same hemisphere as his wife in September of 81 he would have equally shitty performance here uh, uh, and again while only being verbally reprimanded well, I mean, they, they warned him not to drink the water, so he just drank tequila yeah. instead. Uh, but uh, Aldrich would do something different this time and would make the most of that time by having no fewer than three different affair- affairs with various women. Yeah, so, I mean... Uh, marriage is on the rocks. Drink is on the rocks. Uh, you know, let's just... Let's who just knows what else was done on the rocks, yeah. Exactly. The most notable of these being with a Colombian informant who also worked for the CIA by the name of Maria. He would fall in love with Maria and had planned to remarry or planned to marry her as soon as his previous marriage had been absolved. So he goes out to Mexico and is just like, yeah, I found the one this time. And uh, basically, as soon as I get back, I'm, I'm divorcing my wife. Maria. I just met a girl named Maria. <laughs> anyway. Aldrich reported not this relationship to the CIA on previous one, uh, despite this being yet another open secret in regards to his life. Basically, he was just like, look, if I have to like tell them that we're married, that's a whole thing. I'm just not going to do that, even though they know that this is a thing. I'm noticing that the CIA's disclosure rules are a lot like your average Midwestern family. Like, yeah, he's an alcoholic, but nobody say anything about it. We're, we're all just going to kind of know it and never mention it, because that would be uncomfortable, so... The CIA is just a series of like awkward Thanksgiving dinners. Oh yeah, dad's yeah, dad's dad's banging this Colombian lady. Um, you know, a- everyone knows, but it's not something that needs to be brought up. As his work continued to go down, his drinking began to ramp up even further. At one diplomatic event in New York, uh, in Mexico City, he got so drunk that he began arguing with one of the Cuban officials who was there. To the point where they had to be separated amidst a very public shouting match. No, I'm sorry, bro. The sandwiches fucking suck. All right. 
There's nothing special about his ham and mustard and a pick. Fucking what is this? What is it? <laughs> Another time while still in Mexico City, he got so hammered that he couldn't even answer the police that were questioning him. To the point that they were asked, they asked him like, where do you work? And he said the U.S. Embassy. And then he couldn't even find the U.S. Embassy. He was so hammered. <laughs> All of this, yet again, goes without any real consequences and nothing per, like physically written on his record. Just verbal reprimanding, yet again. It, it is wild what people who are connected in certain ways can get away with. I mean, it is truly staggering. At the end of 1982, Aldrich would marry Maria, and by 1983, he would be sent back to the States and put in place of the Soviet division again. It's back in his old department that Aldrich would be given access to some of the most sensitive information regarding counter-Soviet intelligence. So Why didn't they just ship this... this guy to fucking Siberia or something? <laughs> just get him out of the way. Yeah, he does all of this, and then they're like, hey, here's some very valuable information, you dumb, drunk idiot. I like the cut of his jib. Meanwhile, he's just like one of the guys from one of the old SNL uh, Bill Brasky sketches. Yeah. With like the comically large glass of scotch. <laughs> just having the shakes horribly. Yeah. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, no, I, I just haven't had my 7 a.m. whiskey. I'm, I'll, I'll be fine in like an hour. His living balls to the wall and consequence free uh, life went pretty well until the divorce proceedings kick in. See, uh, in the uh. settlement, Aldrich was forced to help pay off his wife's debt, which she had built up due to being forced to leave her job, and he also would have to pay a monthly uh, settlement out to her for several years, all in all totaling, totaling $46,000. And that's $46,000 in, what, are we in the 70s yet, or is it still the 60s? Uh, this is in the 80s now. 80s. Early okay. 80s, yeah. Oh, that's right, Cold still War. Still a shitload era. of money. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Still a lot more than 46 grand is today. Uh, I should note at this point, uh, even though Aldrich has been receiving multiple promotions, uh, CIA, CIA agents don't make shit when it comes to money. Um, they're just like routine level paid. So this is an excessive amount of money. And Aldrich, you know, thinks he's going to go bankrupt through all of this. Uh, I mean, yeah, ultimately would probably. affect him <laughs> and it, it would affect him. And more importantly to him, probably take away from. Well, you can't have that. To make matters even worse, his new, his new wife, Maria, had expensive tastes. And by expensive tastes, I mean she liked to spend Aldrich's money. Yeah. She would routinely make phone calls back to her home country of Colombia, and since this was the 80s, the phone bill would be at least $400 a month. God damn. Blowing all your money on long distance calls. Like you could at least like fucking like go buy a necklace or something like that. Sounds like a fucking Fountains of Wayne lyric. Yeah, um, it's the uh, the Biggie Smalls uh, phone bill two G's. My wife handles that. <laughs> uh, but Alex, to your point, she would also go on several shopping sprees, buying shoes, purse, uh, purses, and any kind of clothing she wanted. <clears throat> so she's just spending like he's got it, and he doesn't. In the words of the Wizard of New Zealand, "No, nah, I'm not gonna." <laughs> but you know, what I'm <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Aldrich needs money and fast. So how's he going to do it? Well, 
He works in intelligence, and he has some meaningless information sitting around. Perhaps he can oh, sell boy. off some of that useless secret, or some of his useless secrets, and make a few bucks off. This really is burn after reading now. <laughs> I was going to say, it may be even dumber. Are you worried just... about the security of your shit? It's really, this is the most Coen Brothers segment I think we've ever had. Uh... <laughs> and he decides he's going to do exactly that. Uh, because of his position working so closely to the Soviets, Albert just sets up a meeting with one of his connects at the Soviet Embassy. And in <laughs> April of 85, he sells what he thought, again, was nothing information for an incredibly high asking price just to see what he could get back. He asks, and the Soviets pay him $50,000. Okay. What was in that info packet that he thought was completely fucking useless? Only the names of two different believed double agents for the Soviet Union. So he just ratted out two of his fucking coworkers <laughs> for 50k. Yeah, I uh, bet nothing bad happened to them. Well, not after a while, at least. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, there's but... only so much you can do. Yeah, but hey, 50k, that's enough to pay off his debts. And he got exactly what he wanted. But that was actually really easy. And, you know, in his mind, he didn't have to do a whole lot. Maybe he could do this, you know, a few more times, just get a little bit here and there. And, you know, make a nice little easy coast living off of this. Sounds like me and my vinyl habit. Well, yeah, I'm sure his ex-wife is not going to get suspicious when he starts paying the uh, child support stipend in rubles. <laughs> well, over the next decade, Aldrich would routine, routinely give information over to the Soviets in broad daylight at the embassy over lunch dates. I mean, where else can you see two government officials just hanging out and nobody says anything about it? That kind of makes sense. This resulted in at least 12 people that we know of being compromised. Oh. And resulting in over like 100 different like classified documents being passed over, giving away a fuckload of U.S. secrets. <laughs> All the while, the, US, uh, the CIA is seeing this and thinks that the Soviets have bugged the building or something. They're not like they're not sure exactly what's happening, but like a lot of their agents are going down. Aldrich's still here, but I bet it's something with the building. I bet the, the phones are tapped or something. So, first of all, that would imply that they had not checked previously that these phones were not tapped, at least not routinely. And also that just the idea of some dirtbag uh, leaking information just never occurred to you? Well, I'm glad you said that. Um, several different times the CAA had a list of believed suspects, but they never were once able to pin it down explicitly on Aldrich. They even polygraphed him two different times in two different years. Polygraph uh, tests both, are bullshit. Both times, uh, he was said to have charmed the interviewers, and since he never felt like he was really in any danger, he remained calm and beat the tests, because that's all it takes. That's all yeah. it takes, yeah. He literally, he went to the Soviets, and he was like, hey, like I'm gonna get polygraphed. Like, what should I do? And they're like, be fucking calm. Which to him probably meant he like slammed some Yeah, be drunk, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, he's still routinely meeting with the Soviets and their men, selling off his coworkers and state secrets for anywhere between 20,000 and 50,000 a head. 
Uh, all the while, the CIA is kind of like trying to figure out if there's a mole, but they're not really quite sure. And the only real reason that Aldrich was ever caught was he made probably the stupidest move you could make. While he was raking in that Soviet money, instead of laying low, he lived louder than he ever had before. I mean, that shot of him on the golf course with Gorbachev probably didn't help too much. (laughs) His once yellow-stained teeth were now replaced with a perfectly new shiny set of white teeth. I thought you were going to say he got a grill. uh, You know (laughs) what? Had this been like 40 years later, he might (laughs) have. Instead of wearing his old dingy clothes, he now had a nice, surprisingly set of expensive suits. Um, His house? Well, he got a new house. About a half million dollar house that he paid for in cash. Uh, he also bought okay. a fifty thousand. He also bought a new car to the tune of fifty thousand dollars, a lovely new Jaguar. And that new house that he bought, uh, bought well, he decided he needed to remodel it and dropped a hundred thousand in cash on that as well. Oh, and his wife's phone bill that was four hundred dollars a month. Uh, that now is six thousand dollars a month, and he's paying it with ease. I'm not. So, if you're trying to be, like, inauspicious, I'm not saying buying and remodeling a house in cash is the worst thing you can do, (laughs) but it's up there. (laughs) This is the way I live. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, so, one of the stories about this is, like, one of, like, his, like, people who was, like, kind of, like, investigating him, his wife, like, went over to the house and was talking to Maria and, like, they had just, like, remodeled their house themselves. And Maria was like, yeah, like, we're going to get, like, these new curtains, these designer curtains. We're going to put them up, and we're going to redo all the windows. And the wife, the other wife was like, oh, like, which one are you going to do with? This gets pretty expensive. Like, where are you going to start? And Maria's like, oh, no, we're getting them all done at once. And she was like, that's, you cannot afford this. How the fuck are you doing this? <laughs> so, like, they were, like, way past their means, and it was fucking obvious. <laughs> and like, it took so long for them to finally pin him down. He started doing this. He would finally be caught and arrested in March of 1993. Okay. And they caught him probably at the last moment they could, because he was just set days before to leave on a trip to the Soviet Union, where they think he was just going to fucking stay and seek asylum. Yeah, must have felt the noose <laughs> tightening a little bit. He would Literally. be arrested and... <laughs> honestly he's like well i could i could rot in prison to the states or the soviets will just kill me i'm not sure which is worse i mean the cia would probably have come up with a very nasty <laughs> method of disposal so um he would be charged with spying for the soviets um uh, and a litany of other like espionage related crimes and would receive life in prison with no possibility of parole and for all of you fun uh fun fact uh people he's 81 years old today not today but in general 81 years old and he resides in my lovely state of india where he's currently at the Terre Haute federal correctional facility so i am not too far from this gentleman <laughs> you should have uh gone to see if he can got uh could get an interview <laughs> for the podcast yeah and uh now via uh web satellite i now bring in aldrich crimes aldrich welcome <laughs> into years ago <laughs> Aldrich, I understand you have some projects you've been working on. (laughs) (laughs) But that is the incredibly dumb and drunken life of what's considered to be one of the worst spies in American history. Someone who ratted out uh, 
most of his colleagues just to be able to buy some shitty drapes and uh, afford his wife's really expensive habits. Which leads me to my big question. Uh, after hearing about Aldrich, do you think you could be a spy? I mean, do I have to avoid what happened to Aldrich? Because if so, then no. But it, <laughs> but if I'm allowed to get caught, then yeah, sure. Sounds like it'd be the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, I, I used to think no, but after hearing that, probably. <laughs> yeah. I, I, a good spy, maybe not. Because I, I, I don't know. I think I enjoy pointing out peculiarities too much. I don't think I could stay incognito. Because I just have like a weird rant about like, you know, someone's order at a restaurant or something like that that's <laughs> going to give me away. Um, I, I could be good up until that point, but I'm going to blow my cover by having like some, some, you know, strange observational humor. You're going to be like deep in Moscow and you're like, you're like the upper echelons of their society. And one of the guys, will be like, oh, and now you see me and it's going to fucking you're going to snap. And they're going to be like, is he, <laughs> is he going on an rant about an American movie? And then and, he's going to be killed. And they're going to know because the Soviets, they don't really do comedy. Or uh, they didn't when they're, <laughs> you don't have, hey, Gregor, what is deal with airline food? You just, you didn't really have a lot of that. Good answers to both of you. I, after reading about Aldrich, I think I could be. A, uh, a spy, but instead of like buying like an expensive house and getting caught, I'm just gonna like spend a whole bunch of money on like Fortnite skins, and that's how they're gonna catch me. They're gonna be like, Did he just how's he have every Fortnite skin? We, we gotta look <laughs> into this guy, he's, he's got all of them. Okay, thank you for that, Jack John. And so, with one topic out of the way, we turn to me. Um, my guy this week is Dr. Sergio Canavero. Um, we are getting back to a type of guy we discussed a lot early on uh, in the run of the show, but we haven't talked about much recently. Mad scientists. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Um, and this guy is a fucking kook of the highest order. Um, and I know I've said a few times lately that this is someone that I've had on my list for a long time. I actually referenced this guy, I believe, in Here's a Guy, the Preview. Like the, the test thing that I post, there are a few topics I reference, and I think I've only done one of them up until now. I was going to do this guy in one of the first episodes, and I just kind of lost interest for whatever reason. But we're bringing him back because he is back in the news. Oh, unfortunately, no. he is back in the news. So, but we will find Fuck. out. Why. All right. So the early part of Doctor Conavero's life was really a success story. Um, he was born in 1964 into a poor family in Italy. But he was very intelligent, um, and he winds up going to medical school at a prestigious university in Turin. In his early 20s, he trains to be a neurosurgeon at the university hospital in Turin. Um, he went on to work there for 22 years uh, until he was terminated over uh, all the stuff that we are about to discuss. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he has a wife and two children, and in his spare time, he's very adept at jujitsu. Um, so that all sounds great. The problem, um, and I don't know how many times we've seen this on this show, Dr. Conavero had what started with one weird idea that he started fixating on, and eventually it spiraled out of control. See, very early in his career, Dr. Conavero starts fixating on the idea that he could successfully perform a head transplant. Oh, goddammit. 
No. What is? <laughs> no, no, you can't do that. That is not possible. It cannot what is a head, be done. What does a head transplant, you ask? Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. Mm. Where you remove the head of one person and put it onto another person's body. You, you just swap them. <sighs> okay. So, oh, okay. why? <laughs> All right. So, okay. It, you, you probably have a lot of questions, and I'm going to yes. do my best to answer as many of them as we can. Why is one that we will get to? Don't you worry. I want to I save that one for later, because you might be surprised to find out why. Um, but, okay, it's one thing to just think this. Like, there's lots of intelligent people that have some eccentricities, you know? As long as it just stays like that, just a weird yeah. idea... And not something that he actually starts to consider attempting, you know? It, it, it's like like previous guys. As long as you're like a cannibal in theory and not in practice, okay. Yeah. I'll allow it. For a long time, that's all it was. Um, he just tinkered with the concept in the background. But then in 2015, it all blows up when Dr. Conavero announces that not only is he ready to attempt a human head transplant, but he has found a willing patient. Don't you need okay. two? I was gonna <laughs> so the second it's a little bit unclear i never quite get a straight answer on that but um i would assume it would be you know not like not a living breathing functioning person or not like a, a person who is conscious i would assume that's that and he's doing this all at the old pet cemetery <laughs> there are like a lot of a lot of pop I mentioned this. There's a, like a lot of pop culture characters that you can compare this guy to. Um, there's one that he particularly gets labeled as, and we will find out who. Um, I, I think there's an obvious one that I can imagine people yeah, calling it, him. It's it's probably the one that you're thinking of. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a really good uh, it's a really good thing that this guy never hung out with uh, the dude who uh, did the heart catheterization on himself. Because <laughs> like this is not this is not one you can be your own guinea pig on. No, it's it's like those guys in Governor Morris being like, "What can we do to our body?" All right, so there's several things to discuss here. Um, the first, uh, I will say, Doctor Conavero was not quite the first scientist to dabble in this realm. The first was Doctor Robert White, uh, a surgeon nicknamed Humble Bob by himself and nicknamed Doctor Butcher by animal rights activists. <laughs> you don't get you to call yourself, yourself humble. humble Bob, yeah. Well, yeah, you don't in in principle anyway, but especially not if you're also nicknamed Dr. Butcher. Um, Dr. White was a uh, pretty awful guy who performed a ton of crude vivisections on animals in the mid to late 20th century. Definitely a guy, but like not especially fun to talk about, so he's not going to be a future topic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dr. Ooh, White also, yes. he also had this head transplant fixation. And in 1970, he actually performed what he said was a successful head transplant of a monkey. He said the monkey lived for nine days and was completely paralyzed, but had its senses and could follow objects with his eyes. Is that um, successful? First of all, I, I don't believe you. Like, I, I don't believe you actually did that. Second of I all, prefer, even yeah, if you I did, prefer, it's not true. Yeah, even if you did, holy fuck, are you like, are you a fucking Clive Barker character? Like, what is so, wrong um, with you? The the uh, the experiment was a complete success. Uh, the monkey is blind, deaf, and paralyzed, and cannot move. But I promise you, he's alive. 
Uh, Dr. Jason over here. Dr. Jerry Silver, a leading neuroscientist and expert in the field of uh, regrowth of severed nerves, called the experiment, quote, fairly barbaric. <laughs> Just so, fairly barbaric? Not extremely of the barbaric, century, because yeah. that's what I'd have gone with, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, that's a typo. It's fiendish and barbaric. Uh, Dr. White had ambitions of performing the surgery on a human and notably wanted to try it on Stephen Hawking and Christopher Reeve. My God. <laughs> um... What this, would that accomplish? This, this is a sound. Neither of your bodies work. Well, that that's the point. Not with each other. Like on the, oh, he wanted okay. to put their heads on like able human bodies. Yeah. I thought I, you I he wanted that. to like swap their heads with no. each other. I'm like, that's just cruel. Yeah, the word's cruel as prank, yeah. That's what I was like, that's it's just South Park at this point. Um that never came to pass because Dr. White died of diabetes and prostate cancer, which you know, prostate cancer. Usually not on your side, but I, I guess a, a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. So, um, as far so second thing, getting back to Doctor Conavero, uh, as far as the willing patient goes, that part was true. Um, the patient was a man named Valery Spiridonov. He was a brilliant Russian computer programmer who unfortunately has a muscle wasting disease called spinal muscular atrophy. Um, now, don't laugh at this next part. But the best way I can describe what that does to you is it kind of folds the human body like an accordion. You kind of just shrink into yourself. But your well, head yeah, is like perfectly your, intact. Your muscle, yeah, your muscles can't support your like weight anymore, I think, is how that particular... Yeah. It's, it's not... If, if I'm thinking of the right condition, it's not dissimilar to like Lou Gehrig's disease. It's pretty Which is similar. what Stephen Hawking has, yeah. It's it's like a it's like a very uh, aggressive bonitis. So his body is uh, gradually failing, but his brain and his head are perfectly intact. So he saw this as an opportunity for a better life going forward. We'll okay. put a pin in him. We'll come back to him. So third thing, one of the changes that led to Doctor Conavero actually wanting to try this was that he unfortunately found a sidekick. Oh no. Please tell me this guy had a hunchback. Well, was, the way I was going to introduce him was that the Igor to his Dr. Frankenstein yeah. was a Chinese surgeon by the name of Xiaoping Ren. Um, and Dr. Conavero is a kook, but this guy, Xiaoping Ren, is, I think, like a genuine maniac. <laughs> um, like, he has some tr like genuine bona fides, just like Dr. Conavero. Like, he was part of the team of surgeons that performed, like, one of the very first hand transplants. Um, but he had the same weird head transplant fixation that Robert White and Sergio Conavero had. I don't know what the fuck this is, but it's, it seems to, this seems to gra like, um, grasp just one out of every handful of, of neurosurgeons. You it's know? like the medical <laughs> QAnon. Yeah. It's like some people just get so sucked into this shit. Um, <laughs> Dr. Xiaoping performed this experiment where he attempted head transplants simultaneously on 80 mice. Um, of the 80 mice, 62 died. The other 18 only survived for three hours. Okay, Lenny. And, and now, I'm not a scientist, but I don't quite understand how you see those results and feel encouraged to go forward on this with any living thing, let alone a human. How is that Sir, encouraging? 
D Doctor, we are unconvinced by your research and furthermore greatly troubled by the fact that your tongue is hanging uh, hanging to your belt buckle the whole time. <laughs> uh, now if you'll please get these 80 dead mice off my desk. Sir, Look, no, one mean, in, no one invited you in here. Like, you just came in and started doing this. Like, what's going on? <laughs> um, so that leads us to the two big questions about all this. Um, how and why would they ever do this? So thing four, which is as for the how, to start with, um, the plan involved 36 hours, a team of 150 doctors, uh, specially designed equipment, and a total cost of $13 million, which actually seems on the low end considering all that. Right. Well, considering what medical procedures of any sort cost you, yeah. My only concern is, the fuck are you going to do with 100 doctors? Like, that seems like way too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, I, I, like, among the many, yeah, many like, seeming I, I logistical a, issues here. Are you issues. doing this in a high school gym or something? Like, <laughs> where, where is this happening? It's, it's one of those things where they all get in line, and they're just like, it's like, down the line so they don't have to walk anywhere. <laughs> Look, we gotta we gotta get done with this quick. There, there. This place is a polling station tomorrow. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, among the many seeming logistical issues here, just medically speaking, how would you ever get severed nerve cells to grow back? Which seems to be kind of a prerequisite to this having any kind of being considered any kind of success. Yeah. Well, to demonstrate this, Doctor Conavero gave a TED talk where he gave a demonstration that involved pulling out our absolute favorite, a banana, <laughs> and smashing it with his hand. Then he pulls out another banana and slices it in half with a knife. And the idea here is that, as he explained, a, uh, a hole sliced, um, that any kind of hole sliced cleanly is easier to piece back together than a hole that's been smashed. And, like... So there's a oh. kernel of truth in there, which is that, like, medically, the instances where um, severed, like, nerve cells have been able to grow back are when it's an injury that involves, like, a clean, like, sever. Okay. But really, that's kind of just question one of a line of questions, which is yeah. also, like, why are you comparing it to, like, a smash banana? Who even brought that up? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then Anna Serla walked in and tripped. And, uh, yeah. And a huge settlement. <laughs> And the amazing atheist uh, popped in and uh, shoved all the bananas up his ass, yes. And, um, and Cody walked in and said, that's a gas station banana. I'd like to buy that. 79 cents. <laughs> all right, so as for the why, I mean, like, as crazy as this idea is on his face, surely Dr. Conavero has benevolent motives. Surely he isn't planning this crazy thing for an equally crazy reason. But... At this point, we would like to remind you all <laughs> that this I is here's a guy. And I, I would not be saying it if, if that way, if not for, I can't um, for this to all just be a scheme for him to like get laid. Like, actually, that's I'm the gonna, small I, motive. I'm going to ask both of you: Why do you two think that he wants to do this? I'm curious, just having heard this, why you think he might want to do this? Um, I think just based on, uh, hmm. Well, you know what? This has been a common thread uh, with some of the others uh, mad scientists we've covered. I'm going to go with eugenics. I'm going to go, he's going to take brilliant minds and put them onto, like, super athlete bodies and play, uh, create a race of, like, the Plato uh, Emperor King. Or Philosopher you, King. 
you said this is 2015, right? Yes. Uh, he's trying to go viral on YouTube so he can be the next uh, replacement in Dude Perfect. <laughs> um, that's not the reality. Although, hold that thought because there is something happens that's not not that far off. From that, God but, damn it! But that's that's not the reality of it. Um, he went on Joe Rogan. <laughs> in a very puzzling interview he gave with a random pretentious blog called Burrealism.ca. Uh, he describes his scientific interests as, quote, his quest towards physical immortality. Now, look, <laughs> whenever you have a brilliant doctor who is very interested in physical immortality, that's a red flag. You don't want to hear that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, was the Fountain of Youth booked this week? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Isn't that like the backstory of like half at least of the scientists, the mad scientists in pop culture? Like this, yeah. that's so many different villain origin stories is wanting to achieve immortality. And like all of the conquistadors who died horrible, painful deaths. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, he mentions Cortez also, pops up like that's a bad <laughs> idea, my friend. He mentions also wanting to be able to briefly resurrect the brain of a recently dead person as a means to probe the afterlife. Uh, but wait, there's more. So he really is at Pet Cemetery now. God damn it. Uh, I was yeah, thinking like young. This. I was thinking young Frankenstein. Also, that Hans Delbruck. Um, in another interview that he did with Vice, he gives this quote: "Imagine the future. Head transplantation has become feasible. Artificial uteri will be developed and perfected. In the beginning, it'll help those with horrible conditions. But then, when cloning becomes available, mm. it will change human history forever. You, me, well, hopefully me, will be able to get a new body." If you get a new body, within one year, you're fine. At age 60, you start cloning yourself, and then good as new. So, that's, if, if you thought that there was only one shocking twist, maybe this one isn't shocking. To find out that this man is also obsessed with cloning. Um, I'm surprised yeah, and, Elon Musk hasn't hired this guy yet. <laughs> and Cody, you weren't right with the eugenics thing, but the, 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 the closest thing is that the thing with like artificial uteri... He's kind of touching on what is a very controversial subject now, which is like being able to like fix, um, you know, fix genetic conditions within the uterus or like being able to create like the custom, you know, right. child, which is a extremely yeah, like the, controversial the, and yeah, complicated the, topic. Yeah. The build a bear approach to humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And people have accused that of being eugenics, but that's that's far too complicated a topic for this year's show. Um I, I will add, Dr. Conavero thinks this technology may be crude at first, but will be perfected within 20 to 30 years. In crude the head transplant technology. Don't even want to think about what that is. <laughs> in the Vice interview, he also mentions that a major implication of this would be disproving religious ideas about mortality and the intermingling of souls. And like, Okay, we at Here's a Guy are notoriously not big fans of religion, but like, man, you really don't need to cut someone's head off to own the Christians. You, you yeah. really don't. It's fine, I promise. Yeah, right now, they're making just as much much sense as you do, so. Like, let's, let's give him a bunch of, like, even ifs. If you bring back a human, they're not going to be like, oh my god, let me tell you what it was. They're just going to be screaming until you kill yeah. them again. It's it's that scene in White as Kids, you know, where he's just like, I'm uh, where Sam gets resurrected by the Necronomicon, and he's just like, I saw horror. 
thing. <laughs> He's just screaming over and over again. That sounds like hell speak to me. <laughs> I think it was a Peter Griffin like, there's no light, it's only fire! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Dr. Conavero, as you imagine, uh, caught a lot of flack over this. Um, as discussed back in episode 19, I think, um, the field of bioethics is very complicated, but pretty much everyone agreed that this is a bad idea. Um, his peers labeled him Dr. Frankenstein, which I imagine is a term not lightly thrown around in the surgical world. Right. <laughs> that's like, that's like a, you know, they're all in glass houses to a certain extent. That's not a rock you want to throw unless you really, really are yeah. sure of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Hunt Botcher, uh, president of the Congress of Neurological Surgeons, opined that he would never agree to such a procedure because, quote, there are a lot of things worse than death. <laughs> really true. Like, can you imagine if you actually did survive this? Um, Although death is what will happen, but yeah. yeah. But on the off chance it doesn't. Your first words post-surgery are kill me. Yeah. The press got so bad that the hospital he'd worked at for 22 years summarily fired him. Like, no, we're not putting up with this shit. Um, Dr. Conavero was asked what bothered him most about the criticism he faced, and he uh, stated the following. He said, Human mental laziness, narrowness of mind, and above all, fear of the unknown. And then he went on to add, As a yoga meditator myself, I'm like, oh, all right, Christ. let me stop you right there. Oh, <laughs> that's this guy that's also not what you, 100% sounds as well. That's also not what you want to hear out of your neurosurgeon is uh, <laughs> that, listen, yoga, pretty, you know, good form of exercise helps with your flexibility. And like yeah. meditation is a real thing. It's something you can teach yeah. your brain to do. It's helpful for some people. Yeah. You don't want your neurosurgeon guided with his ideas for cutting someone's head off um, <laughs> by... The principles of yoga. I'm yeah. I'm sorry, but you don't. So I when we reattach, like... when we reattach the nerves, we realign the chakras, and then everything uh, everything works perfectly. It, had this happened like five or six years later, he'd have been like, "So as a Virgo sun moon rising, I think that it's best that we just we focus on the Aries first and really kind of like dedicate the entire thing to just getting rid of Libras, you know." And uh, here to. Uh, talk about what a wonderful uh, thing this procedure is. This is my good friend Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> I hope you have your anus rock. I have mine. <laughs> um, my favorite public response was that an online gaming forum accused this of being a publicity stunt to promote the upcoming Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Deo Kojima in the background. Drinks. Like, because apparently I've not played Metal Gear Solid, but apparently. There is a like a kooky scientist who looks like a lot like Dr. Conavero. <laughs> like at the point where both he and Konami had released like statements saying, like, no, like we're not working in tandem here. It's just like we're not corroborating. <laughs> um, it takes a lot for Kojima to be like, no, that guy's crazy. I'm not associated with that. All right. So the surgery on Valeri Spiridonov was scheduled for December 2017. But you'll be happy to learn it never took place. Um, the reason was that in the two years leading up to the surgery, Valeri made a hot babe, got married, had a kid, and moved to Florida, giving him a new lease on life and made him decide it wasn't actually worth the risk. So, there we <laughs> learned the truth, which is that Valeri Spiridonov's was not the tragic story of a brilliant man with a failing body who is willing to try anything to cure his disease, but rather 
the story of a man who is down so bad that he almost let an insane surgeon cut his head off. Amazing stuff. Uh, <laughs> that's like he, Tom he really, Brady levels of levels of divorce right there. Like, I that's like the perfect amount of post nut clarity. Like he he just, he found a girl and was like, actually, fuck all of this. <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah. I, I was I was really gonna. I'm gonna call my therapist. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Conavero and Dr. Uh, Xiaoping, they did perform a test run on two cadavers, and also at one point claimed they actually did perform the, sur the surgery on a different patient in China and that they were successful, but they refused to offer any proof or give it any more details. So, like, best case scenario there is that they're lying. Uh, there's, like, a yeah. whole realm of worst case scenarios there. Look, look, I've got, I've got a successful surgery. She goes to a different school. You can't see her, though. Uh, I only get to see her, but she's super real, I promise. Dude. We had sex that one time. Like, I I'm imagining that the successful surgery was just, like, two uh, different uh, styles of variations of Barbie doll. <laughs> just Or, like, two little switching the heads on Lego characters. Yeah. yeah. They, get, they got turned around. He accidentally made human centipede. Like, he's like, ah, well, <laughs> this is a success, but I'm not going to tell people about it. <laughs> Valeria Spiridonov in particular has been like very forceful, demanding more transparency about what they mean by that. Like, I can see why, like, like you, you almost did this to me. Like, can you maybe like say what happened? I kind of want to know what you almost did to me. Um, Dr. Conavero faded from the news for a while, but he unfortunately has resurfaced as of late with a new interview with Vice in January of 2023 where he states that he has moved on from head transplants. And in fact, head transplants were just a half measure for his oh. real bigger ambition, brain transplants. See, uh -huh. he, only, he only wanted to do a head transplant because he thought that would be the easier way to swap brains. But now, now, he's come to believe that the cleaner but more difficult procedure of a brain transplant is possible. Of course, new technologies would have to develop, uh, one of which Dr. Conavero posits would be a, quote, robotic scoop with retractable tines to pluck the brain from one skull and plop it into another. I'm like, I, I don't know about you. Like, are you all just picturing like a fucking claw machine? <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was thinking going more ice cream scoop. I was going to say, I was going melon baller was yeah. kind of where my brain was at. But yeah, like that sounds like something you wouldn't even necessarily need a machine to do. I feel like getting the brain from one skull to the other is not the hard part here. I fear for the day where I'm having a surgery and the device has the word scoop in it. <laughs> uh, perhaps more daunting is that Dr. Conavero's ideal vision of this would involve removing the brain from a person and inserting it into the body of that person's clone. Um, so it seems like we're maybe a little ways off from, from him getting what he wants here. Man, you know, uh, those of us who didn't gr get great physical genes in certain ways, um, I, I would like to request that, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be a clone. Yeah. yeah like, does my clone also have, also have arthritis in their spine already and, like, bad knees? Cause, like, I was going to say, is, cool. is, is, my, uh, yeah, is my clone's knee going to be full of scar tissue? Because that's <laughs> not good. Oh, yeah, your clone also played football for 10 years. And, uh, <laughs> we had to have that happen. 
So that's the last, but probably not the final time we'll hear about Dr. Sergio Canavero. Uh, this guy seems completely insane, and uh, I don't often root for people to get struck by lightning, but that might be <laughs> what the world needs here. So uh, final thing, just a PSA to all of our listeners. Um, I can't imagine that this sounded particularly tempting to you, but just in case, like, if you ever offer the opportunity, please don't get a head transplant or a brain transplant. It won't work. I mean, even if you live briefly, uh, your existence will be the uh, a worse hell than you could possibly fathom. Uh, so don't listen to anything that this uh, lunatic has to say, please. So, brings my big question to the two of you. Imagine hypothetically that this this was possible. Um, whose body would you like your head to be placed on? Um. So, you know, I'm wondering what's the funniest way to do this because ideally it would be like i don't know like lebron james or some incredible yeah. athlete but um i think it would be funnier if it were like like an 8 year old kid or something <laughs> like that just my head as it is now on on an 8 year old's body you'd fall down I, a lot i think probably <laughs> Yeah, but I do that anyway. The head, you get the head, but does he also get like the neck stability that like an eight year old would need with that head? I I don't know where the line is exactly. I'm just kind of spitballing here. I'm just saying, I think that might be like the funniest possible outcome. Yeah, I, I'm I'm similar with you. I'm I'm of two minds, uh, if you will, about this. Uh, I'm either uh -huh. going Vern Troyer or Yoko's, and I can't decide which. <laughs> yeah, the two opposite ends of the yeah, spectrum uh, there. Either, yeah. either like I'm going to be mini me, or I'm going to be a very large Samoan, but with still my very pasty face complexion for head. You're uh, also going to fall down a lot. Yeah, yeah, both ways. I'm just, I'm not. I'm like a bowling pin. I'm just, I'm not going to be well. So for me, pretty easy. I'm going to go with former topic of the show, Jonah Falcon, for pretty obvious reason. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Ah. Seems like I'm, uh, you know. Seems like I'm getting away with one there, but um, uh, um, I want to know what it's you. like. Joke's on you. You got the wrong head transplanted. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> now things are just... Now, now I'm all messed up. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, well, thank you all for bearing, uh, for bearing that topic. I said I've wanted to discuss that one for a very long time, and uh, just a, a fucking uh, complete... One of the biggest nut jobs I've ever had on here. Um, I think he tops even like Mad Mike Hughes for biggest what? biggest wackos. Like mm -hmm. the definition of a mad scientist at that point. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. yeah, is is so? Here's my question: Is this guy worse than the uh, guy who's trying to turn himself into a cyborg? They're pretty similar levels of alarming. Yeah, and <laughs> for least... different reasons. Because like the cyborg guy is disturbing because of how much he's succeeding. Doctor yeah. Conavero, I don't think he will ever succeed. But, like, the fact that he even keeps trying is what's bothering me. The the worst part is that Conavero is bringing other people into this. Like, Simon yes. Guy's just doing it to himself. He's not, yeah. like, crippling and maiming other people. Yeah, till fucking Skynet goes live, then we're all fucked. Yeah, then Ultron's killing us all. Mm -hmm. Like, one of my early topics, Johan Conrad Dippel <laughs> inspired the character of Dr. Frankenstein. And I think this guy is more <laughs> of a Dr. Frankenstein than Johan Conrad That's a Dippel, good point. So. All right, so we're down to our final topic of the evening, and for that, we turn to Cody. Cody, who's your guy this week? 
Well, after that uh, thoroughly gruesome and disturbing topic, uh, I feel like we need a bit of a palate cleanser. Let's just get old, get back to some good old-fashioned sports ball silliness. Can we do that? Mm-hmm. Yes, please. I would love that. So tonight we're talking about a guy that anybody who followed the NFL and the unbelievably dominant Dallas Cowboys in the 1990s uh, may very well remember. Another superb talent who just couldn't quite get out of his own way, Leon Lett. I love Leon Lett. <clears throat> love Leon Lett. Leon was born in Mobile, Alabama in 1968. Uh, he was a gifted athlete growing up, getting letters in both football and basketball. He's a really good basketball player, too. Um, however, he was not the type of kid that cared much about school. And as some things that we'll talk about later on might uh, might suggest, Leon maybe wasn't all that bright. <laughs> yeah, like not the brightest crayon in the box, Leon. I mean, God love him, but he is he is not he's not the sharpest guy in the world. Yeah. So. It, one way or another, his grades were not good. Uh, and also his SAT score was apparently just dismal. So so naturally uh, he went to Ohio State. <laughs> uh, if only. No, uh, as such, <laughs> he lost the chance to attend Auburn on a football scholarship. That was his number one choice. Uh, he first ended up playing two years for Heinz Community College in Mississippi, uh, becoming the star defensive tackle on their football team. <clears throat> He was initially going to transfer to New Mexico State, but there were some issues with his transfer. Not entirely sure what that was all about. I couldn't find it. He ended up playing for Emporia State University in Kansas. He immediately became a star at Emporia and helped the team to its first NAIA championship appearance in school history. They didn't win, but they got there. Yeah, pretty good. So, despite not playing for a prestigious program and some concerns about his character, work ethic, and, yes, intelligence, he was put out there as a possibility for the 1991 NFL draft after his senior year. Sure enough, he was selected in the seventh round by the Dallas Cowboys, who were really just hitting their stride as America's team uh, following a pretty rough late 80s. Leon would join the ranks of Deion Sanders, Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, and Emmett Smith as part of what would become one of football's greatest dynasties. It's a good landing spot for any rookie, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Not all was smooth sailing for Leon as a rookie. First of all, he was a little bit undersized for a defensive tackle. Uh, he weighed 260 pounds on a 6'6 six inch frame. That's a little less meaty than you typically like a defensive tackle to be. Yeah. A little hard to uh, bull rush when you're, like, 20 pounds lighter than the person you're uh, going through. Well, unless you're Leon Lett and you're just tremendously strong. Um, he missed the first part of the season, actually, due to a back injury, but played in the last five games of the season and the postseason in a backup role. Season number two is when things really started to blossom for Leon Lett. He'd put on 16 pounds of muscle and started to get some serious reps with the first-team defense. His teammates nicknamed him Big Cat because of his quickness and agility, despite his relatively large size. This guy was crazy athletic for a big dude. He wound up second on the team in quarterback pressures and had cemented himself as a key defender on a phenomenal Dallas team that was poised for a title run. <clears throat> Leon's solid play carried into the postseason, and it seemed like Leon was going to have a chance 
to really make a big splash on the world's biggest stage, the Super Bowl. How right he was. <clears throat> We're going to hop in the way back and head to January 1993 at the Rose Bowl Stadium in Pasadena, California, the site of that year's Super Bowl. The Cowboys were tasked with beating Jim Kelly and the Buffalo Bills. This game had already made headlines as it was initially supposed to be played in Sun Devil Stadium in Arizona. But due to some pretty fucked up shit going on with the Arizona state government regarding a certain holiday, the venue was changed. For more on that little controversy, tune in next week to Here's a Guy. Damn it. Ooh. <laughs> Is Fife Symington involved somehow? He is not, as far as I know. Damn. So, Dallas's defense was something to behold that night, causing multiple turnovers and forcing Jim Kelly out of the game after a hit from Jacksonville, Illinois' own Ken Norton Jr. Oh, shit. Hey, Ken Norton shout-out. Uh, yeah, surprisingly, of... surprisingly, the first time we've, we've gotten one of those on the show. Yeah. Son of also Jacksonville, Illinois' own boxer Ken Norton, who famously knocked out Muhammad Ali. Yep. So uh, the Bills' backup, Frank Reich, was pretty good for a backup. I mean, he'd already had some playing time in the postseason and acquitted himself very well. Um, so Reich takes over, but there was not a whole lot he could do to stop the 52-17 to shellacking that ensued. Uh, sorry, you, you said Frank Reich, and I immediately... Uh started to reach for a bottle of whiskey. I'm good now, I promise. <laughs> Late in the fourth quarter, Leon Lett finally had an opportunity to make a big, big play on the biggest stage in pro sports. Reich took a hit and fumbled the ball behind the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. It rolled right to Leon Lett. Leon picked up the ball, took off, and there is nothing between Leon and the end zone but green turf. Yeah, look like we were about to get one of everybody's favorite plays, a fat guy touchdown, and like a long fat guy touchdown, too. Alex, I'm so. glad you said that. This would have been the longest fumble return in Super Bowl history. Yep. So Leon takes off, rumbling towards his goal some 64 yards away. As Leon got close, he extended the ball in his outstretched hand to mimic his teammate Michael Irvin's signature touchdown celebration. You know, when you're running in, you've got the ball out in front of you and you just reach it over the end zone. Yeah, a great idea if you're Michael Irvin <laughs> and you can outrun everybody. Leon was basking in the moment, soaking up the lights, admittedly looking at the Jumbotron. Uh, <laughs> he actually said that he was looking at the Jumbotron. Um, taking in the roar of the crowd, the feeling of knowing that there's nothing anyone can do to stop you from scoring the biggest touchdown of your life. A moment where everything was right. And then right. suddenly, something was wrong. See, Leon's showboating had caused the big fella to slow down just enough that that plucky little shit Don Beebe, the yeah. uh, Bills wide receiver who had been sprinting after Leon the whole way, despite being down 52-17 to 17 in the fourth quarter. Don Beebe catches up with Leon, swats the ball out of his hand before he can get in the end zone. The ball goes into the end zone, then out the side. What this means is it's Bill's ball and a touchback. 
And like, I can't, I, I can't begin to describe how funny the visual of this play is. Well, you gotta <laughs> go watch this. Yeah, it's on it's YouTube. Like, it's fucking hilarious. Got this, got this gigantic man showboating as he goes into the end zone, and then Don Beebe, who's like what, maybe five ten, just <laughs> is just bolting in from out of the frame, like just like he's already lost the Super Bowl, just to to give the Bills a little bit of self respect. Yeah. To do nothing other than to ruin this guy's <laughs> big moment, and he perfectly succeeds. It's amazing. Carried out of spite and just like pure adrenaline. It's just like, you know what? Fuck this guy right now. <laughs> As that night's play-by-play man, Dick Enberg, said, because there was some discussion about how it would be called, and while they're talking about it, Enberg goes, if this ends up marked as a touchback, he's going to dig a hole and crawl out of here. <laughs> So this play ultimately made no difference to the outcome, obviously. That would stand 52-17 as the final score. The Cowboys won their title. Now, Leon is very much aware that he just made a complete ass out of himself on national television. But he could take comfort in the fact that his mistake hadn't actually cost them anything. He was a key piece of a championship team. At the end of the day... This play would just be a funny little footnote that wouldn't define his career in the slightest. Right. Yes, sir. As long as nothing like this ever happened again, he could rest assured that people would eventually just kind of forget about it. Everyone just go ahead and take your drink. (laughs) And and, uh, my big question to you guys. (laughs) Besides, the 1993 season would present him with more pressing problems. Uh, namely a broken ankle in Game 3, which would keep him out for the next five weeks. But he returned and played well pretty much immediately. Uh, he was firmly back in place on the defensive front when the 7-3 and three Cowboys would play the 8-2 and two Dolphins in Week 10 on Thanksgiving Day during a mm-hmm. rare snowstorm in Dallas. Yeah, and they had the, they had the, uh, the roof open um, at... I don't, what was it called back then, where the Cowboys were playing? Oh, I don't remember. But, but you know what I'm talking about. So the, the yeah. visuals of this, and what, what about plays out, I also recommend watching, because everything about this is great television. Yeah. Um, but, like, let off by the fact that it's cold and snowing in, like, a retractable roof stadium where the Cowboys are playing. It's just very, very rare to see. Yeah. So the snow blanketed the field. It was a fairly low-scoring contest for those two squads especially. And during the final, down the final seconds of the game, Dolphins kicker Pete Stoyanovich had a pretty tough assignment. A 40-year-old, uh, 40-yard field goal in the snow to seal a win. See, the Cowboys were up 14-13, and a make on this field goal would put the Dolphins in the lead with not nearly enough time to do anything but a quick Hail Mary. Stoyanovich got his leg into the ball and uncorked an absolute bullet straight into the outstretched hands of Cowboys defensive lineman Jimmy Jones. Mm-hmm. The kick had been blocked, but it went past the line of scrimmage. According to the rules at that time, and these are kind of an interesting set of rules, according to the rules as they stood, if the Cowboys just don't touch the ball, the ball becomes dead, plays over, Cowboys win. Mm-hmm. because they don't have to like Miami can't pick it up and advance it. They are not allowed to do that. And if the Cowboys don't ever pick it up, it just becomes a dead ball. 
it's like a foul ball in baseball. If you don't touch it, it's not ball. But as soon as you touch it, it's it's yeah. game on. Mm-hmm. But several dolphins crowded around just in case the ball were to like bounce into a cowboy or something. Not likely. There is really nobody in the area. Just a formality at this point. Because again, all Dallas has to do is wait for the whistle to blow. They walk home with a win. Mm-hmm. And then. Out of nowhere, <laughs> in flies Leon Lett. <laughs> Leon, perhaps thinking that the Dolphins could advance the ball, swooped in to cover it. See, he wasn't trying to make anything happen this time. He was just trying to secure the ball. Mm. But Leon hadn't factored in the snow and the ice on the field. He slipped as he approached and came crashing down on top of the ball, which squirted away down to the Cowboys' one-yard line, where it was recovered by Miami with three seconds left. The entire time, he's going, Leon, I will tell you, there are several different um, versions, like broadcast versions. I think this was carried by a couple oh, different networks. Yeah. So there's one gotta, that, that has one of my favorite calls of all time. Yeah, there's one, there is one in which, as this happens, I think this might have been like the radio broadcast. As this happens, and it becomes clear what is going on, the Cowboys, uh, or whoever's play-by-play guy, goes, Oh, Leon! Yeah, that's a great one. And the one that I like, first of all, as far as the visual goes... I think on like the national broadcast, you don't quite you don't see what happens at the time because what you actually see, and this is just perfect, is that in his big fucking peacoat is a celebrating Jerry Jones, and Jerry you see Jones. him like his arms are stretched, and then you just see his face start to drop as he realizes <laughs> what's happening, and that, so the the broadcast doesn't pick it up, um, but they they go to the instant replay to see what happened here. Like a cowboy must touch the ball. And you see the visual of in sliding in to be the hero is Leon Lett. And whoever's broadcasting goes, Leon Lett! No! (laughs) Like, not only that it happened, but it had to be Leon Lett. They say, the man who nearly had the touchdown in last year's Super Bowl. It's it's an unbelievable piece of sports media. I mean, you got to go watch both Uh, these on YouTube. It's classic. So... Miami recovers the ball on the Dallas one-yard line. Three seconds left. Stojanovic gets another shot, nails it. Miami goes home with a 16-14 victory. Oh, Leon. This play cemented Leon's legacy as a blooper artist. Yes. Regardless regardless of whatever else he managed to accomplish, which, frankly, was quite a bit. Different sport, different decade. I'm getting very big JaVale McGee vibes. Yeah. Yeah, or, like, that's an interesting comparison, yeah. Or like, like the, uh, and here comes Austin Rivers, like that kind of like, <laughs> amount of like you, you're not coming back from this. In the, in the NFL, uh, before that, I mean, probably the closest comparison we had was Jim Marshall. Jim the, Marshall. The great yeah. defensive lineman for you the Vikings the wrong back way. in the Purple People Eaters days. Like an amazing, like considered like a consummate professional, um, played like a million games in a row, but unfortunately for a long time was best known for picking up a fumble and running the wrong way 
into <laughs> his own end zone for a safety like 90 yards. Um, Leon kind of supplanted him. But yeah, Leon had a good career other than this. It's just those were his two big plays. The following season would uh, see Leon make his first Pro Bowl after starting all 16 games. Uh, he continued to be a major piece of the Cowboys' defense, despite multiple suspensions for failed drug tests. That was another well, problem that Leon had. Leon liked to do cocaine um, and smoke weed. Absolutely, uh, like, that's fine. Don't do don't do coke if you're. Well, if you're back in the day, the league did not tolerate weed that well either. So but yeah, I was going to give him a pass for that, but but probably mm-hmm. not the coke. So he played uh, with Dallas until the year 2000, finishing his career with a one-year stint as a Denver Bronco in 2001. All told, he wound up with three Super Bowl rings and two Pro Bowl appearances. But at the end of the day, his legacy rests primarily on being featured on countless TV specials about the greatest sports (laughs) blunders in history. Every... Uh, partic- especially if it's football centric, but some even just greatest like top ten blunders in sports history. Both of these plays will be on there. Like I think ESPN had these at number two and three, respectively, on like their greatest <laughs> football blunders of all time. And I would assume Jim Marshall play was the number one. That's pretty. Hard I to think top so. Yeah. So Leon eventually, uh, after retirement, uh, turned to coaching, returning to his beloved Cowboys just a few years ago uh, before being fired in the Saturday Night Massacre of the Cowboys coaching staff back in January of this year. Yikes. Womp womp yet again. Um, Where Leon let goes next, no one can say. But wherever he ends up, we know what everyone's going to think the second they're hired. And it's going to have nothing to do with his resume. So that's the uh, the story of Leon Lett. And my big question is, I just kind of want to do a little thought exercise here. What ridiculous blooper, blunder, general ridiculous thing happening would you like to see during a Super Bowl? If you could script that moment yourself, what's happening? What I want is very simple. The setup is a little similar to the Leon Lett play. A guy going in for a long touchdown, and on the five-yard line, he trips on his own feet, he falls, his pants fall down, he farts, and all the cheerleaders laugh at him. <laughs> Simple. I love it. Fair um, enough. My, my dream football uh, moment is I want, at some point in my lifetime, the Super Bowl to end 3-2. to two. Um. <laughs> just because I just want to see everyone be angry. I don't, I can't think of a way that like I can make that happen and it be a blunder finish. Cause you can't really, unless there's like somebody like runs into the kicker and they get another shot at it. That's not um, that far off from that Super Bowl a few years ago, where it was the Patriots and the Rams. Yes, and where it was like two teams, two teams, everyone mm-hmm. hated and the game was boring as fuck. Just like the worst Super Bowl of all time. It, it was like mm-hmm. nine to seven. Like I don't think yeah. either team broke 10. Um, but like in this situation, I can have like a last second opportunity, like ball to 20. Uh, and just to make it plausible, it's like the Chiefs. And the the uh, center snaps it so far over Patrick Mahomes' head that it just sails out of the end zone 20 yards on its own. Uh, and the game ends 2 nothing. Love it. So for me, I want this all to come down to a field goal. Okay, one team's going to be up two. Three seconds left on the clock. 
the ball is snapped. The snap is high, but the holder manages to snag it kind of above his head, you know. And the kicker comes in, but the kicker slips because, again, the conditions aren't great. And when he slips, his leg flies out over his head. You know, he just kind of goes ass over elbows, kicks the ball that the holder is holding. The ball flies back through the other set of uprights. (laughs) First of all, I want to know how you call that. Like, that's is that a field goal for the other team? What happens? Is it a safety? Like, what, what's like, going on? Make it up on the fly. Give a one point. That seems right. <laughs> give, the other team one, give the other team one point. That seems fair. Yeah. The first ever own field goal. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I want to I see, like, the press conference afterwards where, like, Roger Goodell is going to be like, look, made a fly, but, like, y- you can't let that slide. <laughs> You can't. You can't possibly have expected us to put something like that in the rule book. You just can't. <laughs> Look, I know. Yeah, I know the Kool Aid Man game. bursts in here and fucks up the snap. You want us to have a rule for that too? What if the quarterback <laughs> turns into a werewolf? You want procedure for that? Yeah. Look, if 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 the quarterback sprouts a second head, that's now twelve men on the field. I didn't write the rule in the in the past, but I have to write it right now, and that's twelve men. I'm sorry, that's a flag. Is there a doctor in the stands? Dr. Sergio <laughs> Canavero. <laughs> this is my I'm moment. Just the- <laughs> he's, uh, he's walking out to perform the head transplant and suddenly Leon Lett slides in and takes him out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Good answers. Good answers. I like that. I like that segment. I thought it was a fun way to end the show. Very fun, Leon Lett. Yeah. Um, you know, don't don't beat yourself up too much. One way or another, you brought joy to millions. So, um, and I will share one Leon Lett anecdote that I um, that you didn't cover is I never knew whether this was true, or whether it's just a legend. But people always say that after the Dolphins play, because this is back in the day where like kids would just write athletes letters. But mm-hmm. the story goes that after the the play versus the Dolphins, some kid wrote him a letter and said. Look, don't beat yourself up too much, Leon. A couple years ago in the Super Bowl, some guy like nearly scored a touchdown, but was celebrating, and the ball got knocked out of his hand. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't find that story. I that almost can't be true, but I I want it to be. The uh, possibility I like is that the kid totally knew what he was doing and just did it to insult. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's gotta be. Yeah, no, that kid's like a little like version of yeah. one of us. Leon crying in the doctor's office, but you don't understand. I am Leon. <laughs> or, at the, or at the very least, it's like a little like six or seven year old who barely remembers the first play, and their parents look it over and they're like, "Oh yeah," and then just put it right in the mail. Yeah. There was this one time my dad was really angry at this play. At least you didn't do that. Leon just takes off I, his glasses, and it's like Roger at the end of his ro- uh, roast from American Dad. <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> How could you do this? Well, what a fun show that was. Really kind of whole range of emotions on that one. Yeah. So um, let's let's uh, wind things down like we always do. Let's start by going around the horn and hawking our shit. Cody, where can the people find you? Um, You can find me first and foremost right here on Here's a Guy on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google, Podca- uh, Google Podcasts. We now have an Instagram page as well. It's a Here's a Guy pod. Go like that. Um, you can also find me on Twitter. I am at Son of Gravy for twenty sixty nine. Sounds good, Jack John. Where can the people find you? 
Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Papa underscore Jack John and find me on my Twitch channel at Papa Jack John. I'm making a return uh, soon in the uh, in the coming weeks. And I've got a really fun project that I'm working on that I can't announce just yet at the end of the month uh, that I'm really excited for. So uh, go uh, go check out the Twitch page. We're going to do a lot of cool stuff this month. Right on. Well, for me, you can find me on Twitter at Turpin for Prez. That's Turpin, the number four P-R-E-Z. Uh, follow the podcast account as well at Here's a Guy Pod. And we have a mailbox. Here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Um, if you have any um, feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, anything you want us to talk about, send it our way. Uh, if you have proposed rules for the Here's a Guy Drink a Game, or if you have any thoughts for what Star Wars character any of the three of us are, send it our <laughs> way. Um, so that uh, brings us to a close of another Here's a Guy. Um, Cody, by any chance, do you have a tagline for us? I do. All right, sounds good. Well, let's uh, um, let's wrap this thing up. Thank you all for being here. Hope to have you again with us next week. And Cody, hit us with that tagline, please. You can't do a head transplant. You can't do it. <laughs> it cannot be done. Stop trying, you fucking freaks. Bye, daddies. <laughs> <laughs>